This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed! Bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the grant to a motherfucker like me? Can you please remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Cute as shit. Oh, 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 skip, skip, skip. If you don't chew big red, then f you. That's so horny. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Great cash, homie. Three, two, one, let's fuck! Everybody's got to hear the shit on W Balls, W Balls, W Balls. Everybody. Good morning, good morning, can you dig it? Happy Sunday, happy Sunday to all of you. I don't know if you guys listened to this podcast on Sunday when I recorded I don't know if you listened to this podcast at all. Well, I mean, I guess if you're listening now, you're listening to the podcast. But yeah, I, I don't really you know, know what your guys' listening habits are, but you know, I never listen to podcasts when they drop, first and foremost. So you might tell me that you, I mean, a lot of people tell me that they listen to my podcast. I don't know if I believe them, and that's not really a... Um, that's not really a, like a, like a self roast or a call out or anything. It's just, it's true. I mean, I really don't know. I don't really look at my analytics that much. I really don't know how they work. So I probably should look at them because, you know, they're probably giving me feedback and how to do, do the podcasting thing better or whatever. But, you know, I really don't care, honestly. Like I'm, you know, so I, I don't even know where the fuck I was going with that. So I hope you guys are having a good Sunday. I'm actually recording this on Monday. So I, what I usually do, I think I said this before, is I record uh, the podcast that I'm writing a blog post for on Sunday and then post it and then try to get the next one done as soon as possible because I have um, you know, a bunch of projects that I am wanting to work on and kind of want to focus on throughout the week and you know, some things in my creative work that I want to fo focus on and some stuff with you know, post ideas and my big long-term project I'm doing and I'm, you know, uh, kind of, I'm doing a fundraiser now and a bunch of other shit. So it's got a bunch of, uh, a bunch of different things that I think can, you know, feed into a lot of this stuff. And so I wanted to kind of go back to the beginning of the blog over a year ago now, actually. So this one, this post was on February 24th of 2020. So I published it. So pre-corona time, I think, you know, we were starting to realize that corona was pretty serious at this point. It was actually going to be like a, an actual thing for a very long time. And I think, um, you know, I, I think part of the reason why I wrote the blog and started writing the blog is because I thought a lot of people were doing a lot of fluffy, shitty shit, and I just didn't want to be involved in creating more fluffy, shitty shit. And I wanted to kind of, you know, take a counterintuitive approach to it. I'm a big fan of um, people like Mark Manson who kind of, you know, he's really the kind of the only one that really does this is kind of, you know, do the, do the, he's kind he reminds me of kind of like a, like a comic that is kind of going against the cancel culture routine because cancel culture and all this other shit is really, you know, it's, it's popular and it sells and it makes money and everything. And, you know, I, you know, so I think he's kind of like a Bill Burr or a Dave Chappelle or an Andrew Schultz where they kind of just go against the, you know, go against the grain and try to, you know, try to make a market out of the counter market that's dominating right now. So one of the things that he talks about in his post that I 
truly agree with is his stance on positivity and the positive self-help movement that's going on right now and has been really the core, I would say, of the self-help industry going back to Napoleon Hill when he made Think and Grow Rich, which I still think is an incredibly overrated book. So my apologies to you know anybody like Damon John who apparently reads it like once every two weeks or whatever, but I just I don't believe the shit that Napoleon Hill says to be true or helpful or anything like that. I mean, there's some things in there that I was like, okay, that probably could make sense in some degree, but I was never really a big fan of all of it. And I think the the route that it's taking is actually kind of dangerous, if I can say that, because I think too much negative thinking is just as, or too much positive thinking rather is just as bad as too much negative thinking. And I think we're kind of making ourselves overdose on that problem right now. We're giving too much positivity, too much happy thoughts, too much, you know, calm and be well and, you know, the dog in the flaming room saying everything is fine when it's not fine. And I think that needs to be a clear distinction because we need to know when things like this are happening and why they're happening and other things like that. So with that, I will kind of dive into this post on what I call mindless positivity and explain why it sucks. So like I said, you know, the con artist self-help people that I told you, you know, that I told you exist, they kind of come up and you know, they get on top of a stage and they yell at you and they say you can do anything you want and be anything you want when you grow up and all those other lies and whatever. So instead of broadly telling people how to live their lives and how to fix problems they don't have because a lot of them are the problems that they don't have and people are just telling them bullshit to make them feel better about themselves, I'm going to describe the biggest problem that these people portray. And the problem that the problem that is so infectious and so corrosive that it seeped into our culture in incredibly insidious fashion. And let me kick it off with a roast of someone who most of you probably don't believe this applies to, Jen Sincero. Jen Sincero is one of the most well-known self-help authors of this century. With her book, You Are a Badass, selling over 3 million copies, being translated into 30 different languages, and has taken her career into the stratosphere. She also works as a career and life coach, and regularly speaks across the country. Due to the popularity of the book, and my interest in general growth and improvement, when it's actually growth and improvement, I picked up a copy. And it wasn't without hesitation, though. I, I kind of knew this when I picked this up. When I picked anything up like this, I took the risk of picking a book, a book that didn't really help me teach anything. Instead, it could have been an absolutely shitload load of shit that just put more royalty money in her pocket. But hey, it came with another book, which, which I'll get to later, for what I thought was a decent price, so I bought it to see what the hype was all about. Now, let me... I'm a huge advocate for self-education. I believe our education system at all levels is flawed in many ways. And the only reasonable way to correct a lot of those flaws is to take matters into your own hands. So a book is a gun in the words of uh, Tyler, the Creator, Tyler, the Creator, boys. It actively creates value for your life if it is of higher quality. So if I find a book that I think is worth the investment, I buy it. Books are a remarkable source of knowledge. And if a book sucks, it will fine-tune my searches when I look for new books. It's all a learning process. So back to the matter at hand. The book turned out to be meh. While it wasn't my favorite, and but I didn't think it was total trash either. Had some good points, but also had some red flags. A lot of fluff, not a lot of meaningful substance. And I didn't think much of Jen Sincero in a bad sense. I just thought she was a woman who thought she was doing well by doing good, that sort of thing. Until I got to the second book that I told you about. The sequel to Badass is called You Are a Badass at Making Money, a book dedicated to financial literacy. I thought this was interesting, and since I was going to be adulting relatively soon, remember this is back in my senior year of college, I wanted to get as much knowledge and perspective as I could. Plus, I already bought the damn thing, so I picked it up and started reading. I was mind-fucked. I couldn't believe what I was reading. 
The woman essentially rewrote her same book, said about five things related to money, put a testimonial in for a client at the end of a chapter, and called that a book. No tangible evidence, no steps on how to obtain anything, no nothing. And worst of all, it sells for $9.42 on Amazon. What a con. However, believe it or not, I kept reading. I had a classic case of what is called confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is when you warp things to support your perception. Basically, this book can't be that bad, can it? It's got to get better. It's going to change my life. I had to justify paying $9.42 for a bad book I bought on Amazon. So I kept reading the shitty-ass book, even though I should have cut my losses and moved on. It wasn't until a particular section of that book where the line in the sand was finally drawn. So somewhere in the middle of the book, Sarah was talking about emotions, particularly anguish and sadness. She's at a funeral for a friend she knows knew in college and is sitting with some old friends. Sincero then says, Emotions don't like to share their space. If you're sick of feeling scared or sad or frustrated, focus all your energy on building up the opposite emotion. Unquote. The people that she's with then proceed to mock an old lady's nitrous system as she wheels in the front row of her and burst out an unapologetic laughter in front of other mourners. Pages 131 to 132, if anyone cares. I threw the book in the trash. But I will admit I got it out later because books don't deserve to be destroyed. I'm not part of the mob, believe me. What in the fucking fuck? Like, are you kidding me? I couldn't believe that this was even a thing. Not how something as inappropriate could find its way into a self-help book. But it did. And it's finding a way to creep in in nearly every phase of our lives. It's called mindless positivity. And it's the worst. Just awful. It needs to be destroyed. However, we are all guilty of it to a degree. So in order to destroy it, we must learn to identify it at its sources and then ghetto-stomp the shit out of it until it stops breathing. So let's go. Obvious fact. Humans have a natural tendency to overdo things. Not so obvious fact. We hardly never ever notice, ever notice us doing this. So let's get into some basics. So let's start by calling this phenomenon, you'll remember our old friend, emotional over overcompensation. When I say overdo things, I mean way overdo things. When something happens that is unfavorable in our eyes, we usually overcompensate by an enormous amount in order to emotionally and mentally dig ourselves out of that hole. So let's call this negative emotional overcompensation. When something favorable happens in our eyes, we usually overcompensate by an enormous amount in order to emotionally and mentally keep ourselves in that place. Let's call this phenomenon positive emotional over overcompensation. An example of negative emotional overcompensation might sound something like this. We have a day that's the equivalent to absolute dog shit. We stub our toe while getting out of the bed in the morning or late to class, fail our econ final, and have to tell all this to our parents, who then yell at us. To make them feel better, negative emotional overcompensation guy blows $50, blows $50 in a bottle of Crown Regal Apple, Twinkies, and Bath Salts and pounds all of it to make himself feel good again. An example of positive emotional overcompensation might sound something like this. We have a day that is the equivalent to a dog. Awesome. Great. Pleasurable. We run out of bed in the morning without a single blunt objection. We're early to class. We ace our econ final. Our parents tell us how wonderful we are. We use a fuck ton of exclamation points in our text messages. However, when we want to ride this dopamine until the, or we want to ride this dopamine rather until the wheels fall off. So to make him feel the way he's feeling, positive emotional overcompensation guy blows $50 in a bottle of Crown Regal Apple, Twinkies, and Bath Salts and pounds all of it to keep him feeling as high. The common ending in both of the scenarios is the same. Both guys consume the crown, Twinkies, and bath salts in order to rush back to that high. And what is the end for both of these guys? Most likely, they both get cross-faded in just a bunch of calories and a punch, attempt to punch a law enforcement official for quote-unquote watching him, and then maybe try to eat his face because of, you know, the bath salts. 
When you attempt to chase positivity constantly, you ignore all the other warning signs, the bad emotions, the potential consequences, the blatant opportunities. We have become so obsessed with feeling good all the time that we absolutely loathe feeling bad. And to the contrary, feeling bad is not a bad thing. Constantly pursuing the high of feeling good is a destructive principle. If we do not embrace what we're feeling and just run from it all the time, the ending result is a stockpile of emotions that can be calamitous after a long time if they go unchecked. The reason that Jen Sincero's actions were dishonest and inappropriate is not because she and her friends laughed at a funeral. That happens. I've been to a few before. The reason it was dishonest and inappropriate is because she deliberately chose not to feel emotion and then ran away from it to avoid confronting it. That's not positivity. That's cowardice. Feeling bad is quite the opposite of bad. Feeling like shit is a part of life. It provides perspective on how fortunate we are to have these problems in the first place. Perhaps more importantly, what is feeling good if there's no feeling bad? The answer to that question is nothing. We would be in a state of emotional purgatory with no highs or lows, no championships or first round exits. And that is true despair. Not having the opportunity to move, to escape, or to thrive. I'll give you a personal example from my life to show how easy it is to fall down the slippery slope. About two years ago, so this week last year, my, you know, of me writing this post, my dog Tycho died after being in my life for almost 14 years. He was awesome. He was my best friend and had been there for me through the majority of my growth to maturity, from when I was about 7 until I was 21. I don't cry often. I jokingly tell my friends and co-workers that I only try cry twice a year. But I cried like a fucking baby for that entire week. I went home that for the weekend to say goodbye. He died at the house, which was a good thing, considering he, like most dogs, hated going to the vet. It was the way he wanted it. That gave me comfort, but it still sucked. A lot. I'd never seen my dad, the greatest man I'd ever met, cry before. He was in tears when I got home from the gym. That's when I knew, and that's when I broke. The next day, after everything had been settled, I tried to resume my routine like normal. I got up at 5 o'clock in the morning and went to the gym. Lifting has always been my anchor, and man, did I need it. As I was starting to get into, the, get into the flow and the testosterone started to flow, I started to feel a high that you usually get when your blood was pumping. Thoughts were racing, music was blaring, and I was rolling, as much as I could after something like this happens. And that's when I let my guard down, when the mask slipped off. A thought raced through my head. This is a good thing. It gave me perspective on life. I'm going to use this to make sure I don't take any moment for granted. This will be a positive. A couple seconds passed, and then another emotion hit. Shame. How in the hell could I possibly be thinking these things? My dog had just died not 24 hours ago. I'm already thinking about the benefits, not the loss of my great companion. Who in the hell are you? And this is the trap of mindless positivity. We want to feel good so badly that we use emotional overcompensation in order to get us there and disregard anything that gets in our way of doing so. In times of crisis, we think of how quickly we can get out of it instead of embracing it and dealing with it. In times of pleasure, we pile on more pleasure in order to keep us at that high. This is disingenuous and dishonest, something we cannot afford to be, especially with our emotions. After that episode, I went home and pondered on it some more. I made a decision. I'm going to feel like shit. I'm going to feel like shit for a good while, because this is normal. This is what I'm supposed to feel when something like this happens. I feel bad because I should feel bad. I'm not going to run from it. I'm not a coward. I'm going to take the pounding, find a way to navigate it, and then eventually return to normal. Emotions are normal. Feel them. There's a lot of lying that comes around emotions. It's gotten better during recent years, but we're still affected by mindless positivity. 
music is a great example. So many singers and rappers sing about the highs of what they've been going through, usually in the forms of drugs, money, and sex. Only a few sing about the lows. Biggie Smalls, Mob Deep, and the Flatbush Zombies are excellent examples of the latter. They openly spoke about really dark stuff. Death, depression, sadness, suicidal thoughts, etc. Biggie Smalls recorded a song titled, wait for it, Suicidal Thoughts. Prodigy and Havoc of Mob Deep rapped about their friends getting shot and the anger and sadness they felt about it. The Flatbush Zombies sing about anxiety, depression, and mental health disorders constantly. Their sophomore album, Vacation in Hell, is referencing to making the best out of the best, a bad situation. They weren't affected by mindless positivity. They didn't emotionally over, overcompensate. They simply felt what they felt, constructed into an outlet the best way they knew how, and then moved on. Trying to change your emotions is another form of lying to yourself, which is an awful thing to do. Being inauthentic with who you are is one of the quickest ways to cheat yourself out of the experience of life. No one said they all had to be positive. This knowledge, even though it's good, can also be destructive, because people will most likely do the thing that they always do when they're overtaken by a beast of new information, emotionally overcompensate, but in the opposite way, aka negative emotional overcompensation. Some people will hear that everything isn't all sunshine and rainbows will instinctively pull themselves in the other direction whenever something good happens to them. A simple, yet troubling way of looking at this is people who have gotten out of relationships involving with domestic violence. Say a woman who just got out of a relationship with some asshole who beat her up and made her feel like shit gets out of a relationship and then gets the, hones, the cojones or ovaries to start dating again. She goes out on a date to Chili's or something and meets up with a guy who happens to be very nice and has a stable job. However, instead of trusting this guy immediately, the woman may pull away and shut the whole thing down because he's going to turn out like the other guy, right? He's just going to be what like she's used to experience in the past, right? And the answer is maybe, but maybe not. You never will know unless you allow yourself to have that experience. Mindless positivity cheats us out of what the negative can teach us, while emotional overcompensation cheats us out of the other side of the spectrum entirely. Mindless positivity has taken over our culture because we have become so polarized in fear of the negative that we run from it from all costs. In the case I described above of the woman going out on the date, what if the buck doesn't stop with this guy? What if she continues to live in that shell of fear and rejecting every guy she attempts to get close to because she's afraid it might turn into a negative experience? The answer? She will never have a healthy, fruitful relationship with another man again. Because, whether we like it or not, negativity isn't everything. It is the duality of the positive. Will we like more negative than positive? Of course not. But we can't get rid of it entirely either. That would defeat the purpose of nearly everything we go through in our lives. We must embrace the negative. We must live with the negative. If we do not, the stakes become even higher. Think about it like the immune system. And this was, I'm just reading this now for the first time in months, and this is right before Corona hit, so this is absolutely hilarious. If someone is a germaphobe and afraid to go outside and therefore never experiences germs, what will happen to them if one, they inevitably invade its personal space? He'll probably end up in a snotty puddle on the floor puking up all of his meals from the last week. Because he didn't embrace the inevitable. Germs are everywhere, and you will come in contact with them. It is a fact of life. When parents overprotect their kids, they cheat them of the negative experiences that will eventually help them. Helicopter parents who help handle everything for their kids, I'm talking to people like Lori Lolan here, who is just the worst, are setting themselves up for failure. They take on their kids' own emotional burdens, leaving themselves to be unstable and not able to help their children deal with them. They argue with their teachers about grades, not aware that the teacher most likely failed graded them fairly, and then therefore cheating them out of what the response to the bad grade will be. 
Trying to run from something that will always be there is not only pointless but destructive. You're weakening yourself by not accepting what needs to be accepted. When we run from the negative, we run from growth. When we try to shun the bad, we dilute the good. When we don't acknowledge what sucks, we don't appreciate the stuff that sucks less. The solution isn't any of these things. The solution is to learn to coexist with the bad and change the perception that negativity in and of itself is a bad thing. Remember the book The Giver and how fucked up it was? We all had to read it in like 6th grade, and some parents yelled about it because they didn't like little Johnny reading about premarital kissing and euthanization and other stupid shit like that. Well, it's a wonderful book written by Lois Lowry, and its central lesson drives home the core lesson of how to deal with the epidemic of mindless positivity. For those who are unaware, The Giver is set into a, in a future where a calamity has wreaked havoc around the world, and a place called The Community is living in a literal bubble after the, in the aftermath. In order to avoid future calamities, the society has created something called sameness. They have taken away emotion. Pain, happiness, joy, even sexual desire are all chemically suppressed by taking medication every day. No one knows history, except for one person in the community. Color has been removed, with everyone seeing everything in black and white. Babies are brought in through genetic engineering. People are not given free will. This is all done in an effort to create a utopia. This is also why mindless positivity is awful. In ancient Greek, the word eutopos has two meanings. And eutopos is the root word of utopia, by the way. The first meaning is the obvious. It means the perfect place. The second meaning means something of stark contrast. The place that cannot be. To prove this without spoiling the end of the book, the main character of the book, a child by the name of Jonas, is chosen to be the giver, the guy who knows the history of the past world, before the calamity wrecked it. He doesn't like what he sees and why the community has taken it from him, which causes a ton of problems with the suppressors in the first place. It turns out the community is not the perfect place. It is the place that cannot be. The community over emotionally overcompensates in a huge way here. It doesn't allow anyone to feel anything in either direction, like at all, which is incredibly wrong. All negative and positive things are taken away, replaced by the drag blondness of melancholy. The solution to all the issues we've addressed is to not chase things in order to feel good, but to chase things in order to do good. Let me explain. Feeling good is different for every person. Some people feel good when they volunteer at food banks and help little children learn to read. Others feel good when they snort horse tranquilizers with prostitutes and write mean Instagram comments to 12-year-olds in their burner accounts. It's arbitrary, and therefore it can be either constructive or destructive depending on our personal beliefs. However, unless you're a neo-Nazi or some kind of sadist, Doing good is most likely the same for most people. Volunteering at food banks and helping little children learn to read is doing good for others. There's really nothing good about horse tranquilizers, at least nothing can I think of, except for maybe the guy that sold you the horse tranquilizers. The contrast between these two can often be summed up into two words, which I think people often get confused the same thing. They are not, and they deserve our attention. One of them is in the title of the art in this, is in the title of this article, and the words are optimism and positivity. The definition for the word positive is, quote, consisting in, our in or characterized by the presence of or possession of features or qualities rather than their absence, end quote. The definition of the word optimism is, quote, hopefulness and confidence about the future or the successful outcome of something, end quote. The distinction between the two words when broken down cannot be more clear, yet we choose to ignore their difference and lump them together as one holistic thing. While they are related, they are not the same. Positivity, as explained by the definition, is something that you are defined only when you have it. 
Optimism, on the other hand, is something that you are defined by as a whole. There is no give and take. It is a state of being, not something you obsessively chase in order to get something. Positivity is chasing feeling good. Optimism is chasing doing good. Positivity is being extreme. Optimism is being open-minded. Positivity is possession. Optimism is detachment. Strive to be optimistic, not positive. Optimistic people can weather the storms of negativity and positivity, which is the dichotomy of life. Positive people can really only handle the positive well, and thus unbalance the dichotomy of life. The more positive we become, the less we see of what life has to offer. The more optimistic we become, the more open we are to the possibilities that life can offer. Negativity can offer perspective. Positivity can blind it. Move to see, not to be blind. An ignorant man cannot see. A lot of this ignorance just happens to come from our false definition of positivity. So, as a rule of thumb, when something happens to be positive, more positive, or appears to be more positive than it is, it probably is. Be optimistic. It will serve you well. Be skeptical about positivity. It will allow you to see things for what they are. So, in the end of the day, I mean, I think, you know, this is a pretty hard topic to understand, but I really do think it matters. And I think, you know, a lot of people are getting this, you know, confused and whatever, but I really do believe that, you know, while we should celebrate positivity, we should not bask in positivity all the time because it just, life isn't long enough to only experience one thing. You know, you have to open yourself up to experience other things in order to really get the most out of life. And the negative can teach you a lot of things and you need to feel the negative in order to get the most out of it, in my opinion. So short podcast this week, guys. I really think that topic is very important. So hopefully you guys got some out of it or something out of it. So open your mind on the day. See you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Think about the shit and I think it will. How can I mix my grip? And how should I make that nigga straight?